Hi, it's Mark Bittman. Welcome to Food. As always, you can email us at food at markbittman.com. We're happy to respond. We'd love to hear anything you say, seriously. And please subscribe to the podcast and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Say wonderful things about us. And please also subscribe to The Bitman Project, our thrice-weekly newsletter, which you can find at bitmanproject.com, which, like this podcast, gets better and better all the time. Okay, back in a minute. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out. I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. 
Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. It's an interesting conversation today, and um, I think it's going to lead to an equally interesting follow-up. But this is with Chef Edward Lee and his business partner, Lindsay, off SASIC. And um, they have been working on a nonprofit relief food program since the beginning of COVID and even before. They've worked on labor issues. Um, They've worked on a number of things to make restaurant models better. But their idea now is to do a nonprofit that will demonstrate a number of things about the restaurant business and ways to make things move forward, ways from treatment of labor to elevation of women to the way energy is used in restaurants, electricity instead of gas, for example, the use of single-use plastics. All of these things we'll talk about. So really what we're going to talk about is how a nonprofit restaurant operation might do things better and what that can demonstrate. There are some unique aspects to what they're doing, and um, they're fascinating and worth listening to. It's not entirely coincidental that I'm working on a not-for-profit restaurant model. I've talked about it a little bit, and we've written about it in the newsletter some, tentatively called Community Kitchen. And we don't really talk about that much here. And one of our ideas at the end of this conversation is for Lindsay and Edward to come back and interview me. So that might be happening. Something will happen. Something interesting will happen. But something interesting already has happened, and it's this conversation. So here we go. I just wonder if it might make sense to talk a little bit about each of your histories and um and to talk some about the work that the Lee Initiative has done already. I'm the chef part of this duo. Um, Gosh, I've been in Louisville, Kentucky now 21 years. Um, Started with 610 Magnolia and, you know, just ran a fine dining restaurant forever. Lindsay was actually my GM and sommelier for many years. And we got to a crossroads where she, you know, was in a place in, in her life where she didn't want to work the grueling hours and, and work in the evenings. And uh, I didn't want to lose her as part of the team. So we sat down one day and we said, well, what do we do? Like, so how do we retain the culture and, and, and you know, retain your expertise while you don't have to work nights. Um, and she kind of hit upon this idea of doing a nonprofit. And it was about that time when really the Me Too movement just sort of came down the pipeline 
and uh, obviously like had huge ramifications for the restaurant world. Um, and that kind of was our first, you know, spark of, of inspiration where we're like, okay, this is something that's both terrible for the restaurant industry and also an opportunity for us to do something different, to do something that's impactful, to really change things. And, you know, I'll let Lindsay take it from there. But basically this whole idea, the original part of the initiative was her brainchild. So like Edward said, I was I was working for him as the GM and some for 610 whenever the Me Too movement was hitting our industry very hard. Those stories were extremely important um, and they needed to be brought to light. But we had... Like Edward said, we had so many conversations about why this was happening in the industry, what was being said, and honestly, taking a deep dive on, you know, I, I was a woman who was in a leadership role within restaurants. What was different for me? Because that was not my experience. And we landed on the fact that I had mostly worked for women. <laughs> and so we created the Lee Initiative as a mentorship program for women to rise the ranks within the industry. You know, typically the staging system, it works for one very small group of people that can afford to move to New York or Paris and work for free for a year. Um, and so we we reached out to women who had risen the ranks from line cooks to owning many restaurants and award-winning chefs and asked them if they would be willing to mentor young women if we would cover the cost. And no one said anything but yes and we're extremely enthusiastic so you sort of tested the idea everybody said yeah and then you went out with that idea and fundraised so that you could actually support that program yeah um we started with a very small amount of money having a dinner party and asking people to support and you know went on a prayer that it would work out and (laughs) It did. Um, so with the women who have gone through the program, we put out a call to applicants. Um, you know, we selected five women the first year and we were able to cover them going and staging and working with different chefs across the country, not only sending them and covering their lodging and their travel, but also covering their wages while they were gone to continue their education. Because, you know, a lot of people can't take off work for two weeks. <laughs> And you should reserve your PTO for when you actually need it. So, again, a very small program for three years. Then 2020 happened. At that point, we pivoted into direct aid and were able to open relief kitchens in 21 cities across the country. Um, So Makers Mark and Beam Suntory were our big partners um, in the Women in Culinary and Spirits program. You know, the mentees were actually here. We do a week in Kentucky and they were at the distillery whenever every restaurant in the country started to close. All of them had gotten calls that, you know, they were furloughed. And so we reached out to our partners and they immediately, you know, went to looking at their budgets to see how they could help support opening these relief kitchens. Um, We opened one in Louisville, Kentucky uh, first I think it was two days after the shutdown and caused a traffic jam. It was, you know, a lot of people were coming. And so our partners were able to take their marketing budgets that had been set for the year to do cash infusions into restaurants. And we set up portals for them to raise money in their own communities. And we would send that every week to keep people employed just to do meals. And then they all had small groceries with diapers, formula, like needs that they had. Right, so. right. That's a terrific story. Did it go beyond Louisville or that was the... Yeah, we were in 21 cities within the second week of the pandemic. 
We were in Seattle, L.A. with Nancy Silverton, Chicago with Paul Cahan. I mean, we did uh, Atlanta, uh, Dallas, no, no, Houston with uh, Ryan Lachane. I mean, it was it was a it was a long list of chefs. Yeah. And Essentially, things. it was dictated by who, where there were marketing dollars to be had. We could go to chefs that we had worked with in the past in those regions and start doing cash infusions to keep them open. That's yeah, a great we actually story. took the program one step further. And what, what we did was, you know, once we realized that the chefs were not buying ingredients, that all of these chefs that we talked to were not buying those lovely organic farm to table ingredients from the farms. And I visited a couple of farms in the region here and saw hundreds of pounds of produce just going to the trash bin. And so because, you know, a lot of these farms rely on restaurants and basically we, we realized that independent farms and independent restaurants are two sides of the same house. And so we started a program in the middle of all that to buy all the excess um, produce, some meats, some dairies, cheeses uh, from farms that were in dire straits. Um, and then we would donate those um, pro- products to the chefs that were doing relief. And, and again, it was just like this whole you know, system that we created. Uh, and that saved, I don't know how many farms we saved, but the, the, there was a number of independent small farms that, that, you know, just wrote letters and called us and said, we would not have made it without you guys. And yeah, I mean, that program was near and dear to all of our hearts. You know, when we reached out to our partners, you know, restaurateurs have these long-standing relationships with farms and they felt awful that they were not purchasing from them, especially if they had contracted them to grow X amount of things. So we were able to bridge that gap. I'm sure you can imagine how interesting the conversations were to call a farm and say, if I send you $25,000 to create a credit, will you send produce to these people (laughs) (laughs) or meats or whatever it was? Um, But, you know, we, we just had an event in Chicago with one of the restaurants that we worked with and, you know, they still three years later have this long lasting relationship with their protein farmer where they're purchasing from them year round. And so it was twofold, like one bridge the gap for folks that were already purchasing, but then also to introduce restaurants in that region that may or may not have been working with small farms. And we've seen a continued relationship, which was really important to us. You know, and, the, and the third part of that is, you know, one thing that we did with these, um, you know, donated meals or free meals um, is we wanted to take the stigma out of accepting a free meal. And so these were not, you know, these meals were not out of a can. They were not like potatoes come from powder. Um, these were all very nice chef driven meals. And one of the things that we had, it was like, if I wouldn't feed this to my family, I don't want any of these meals going out to people. Because just because you're in need, it doesn't mean you get a lower quality meal. And that's the one thing that was very important to us throughout this process that, you know, the, the meals were simple. You know, sometimes you just get a roast chicken and, and you know, haricot vert and mashed potatoes. They had to be made with real ingredients. They had to be fresh, nothing processed and, you know, like like real chef driven food. Yeah, that's great. And the distribution was through the restaurants? Yeah. I wish we had done this part of the podcast two years ago, because that that is a really great story. There are a lot of good stories about people who formalized supportive farmers during 
COVID in ways that they hadn't before. So nonprofits springing up to pay farmers to grow food directly for, or established nonprofits deciding to pay farmers to grow food directly for the emergency food system, other things like that. And I feel like people connected, I mean, farmers markets and CSAs exploded during that time. Everyone realized how important it was to support the food system that will actually be sustainable in a crisis. Yeah, I think we learned, well, those of us who are open to learning something, learned something. Um, I don't know what the long-term implications are, but we can only hope that they're good. So and how long did that, you must have stopped at some point or not? With those programs, so they were phased out. I mean, it was late 2021. Um, you know, restaurants had been open for several months, um, and we exhausted all of our resources that we could into those programs. Um, you know, and there were other parts of it. We had, you know, this is when we learned really to always reach out to a corporation and ask for help if you can. You know, we were able to bridge transportation gaps for farmers through our partnership with Audi. The things that we were able to do just by reaching out and asking was incredible. You know, American Airlines hubs all over the country. We had yogurt and fresh pressed juice and the things that were going to be thrown away. It's when we really learned to just ask and someone will probably help you. How many corporate partners would you say you had? Uh, through Relief, probably 20 or 30. You know, and some of them came in at different levels, but you know, marketing budgets are set a year ahead of time. No one knew it was going to happen. And they were very willing to help and support us. Um, and a lot of those partners have stayed on because they saw the impact that we were able to make, you know, by reacting quickly to what was happening and then, you know, move forward. So they stayed on to be supporters of the new nonprofit restaurant? Yeah, some of them have um, or just stayed on to be supporters you know, through the Women Culinary and Spirits Program, which directly, the mentorship program that we spoke about, directly feeds into the restaurant that we're starting. Um, so they all have a small piece of the puzzle. You know, Maker's Mark and Beam Centauri, they are an alcohol brand, so we have a liquor license and they cannot support directly to that program, but they can support our overall infrastructure. And what we looked at was, like, what what is the crisis now restaurants are facing? Right, because it's not everyone thinks the, the the world went back to normal and restaurants reopened and you know we're all we're all good now and we're not you know the the, the fact is like the, the in many ways the system is not working um, and the perception of what restaurants are are inaccurate and 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 how restaurants are going to survive in in the next generation is still a big question mark and so part of you know, segueing out of relief and into what the next phase of the LEAD initiative is going to be is how we ended up on the idea of doing this think tank nonprofit restaurant where we're going to take this time, it's a five-year project, we're going to take this time, invest money, figure out what are the problems that face, that restaurants face, independent restaurants, how do restaurants become more sustainable in, in, in a real sense, not just using catchphrases and, you know, discard getting rid of plastic straws. Um, like, how do we really make impacts? Like, how does, what does the restaurant of the future look like? Um, can it pay fair wages? Can it do all the things that the public is asking us to do? 
and can it be done and still run a business? And 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 that's part of what we're trying to figure out with this restaurant. And and you know, Lindsay can talk about the research and the partners that we have. Um, it's a big project, but we're also trying to figure out like, can we help independent restaurants survive whatever this next decade looks like by doing this research? putting the, the financial burden on our backs, doing the research and then publishing the papers for free so that everyone can look at it and you have real data, you have real conclusions, you have real sort of, you know, formulas to look like. You have a roadmap, a blueprint. And so if you want to go do an electric kitchen, here's how it works. Here's the exact cost. Here's your pitfalls. Here's your advantages. Here's your disadvantages. Now you can decide. And if you want to go 50% electric, that's fine. If you want to go 20%, that's fine. Like we're not casting judgment. We're just saying, this is what it takes to do this. Now you can decide for yourself. And I think that's the one thing that so many restaurants are, you know, every restaurant I talk to, every chef I talk to, they want to do good. They want to do the right thing. They don't have the money, the resources, the time, the energy. Um, they don't know where to start. You know, no one wants to be the first one through the door because first person always gets, <laughs> you know, they always end up spending more money and it doesn't. So like, we're going to be the first ones. We're going to make all the mistakes. We're going to figure out what all the pitfalls are. And we will publish. We'll pu- publish both our successes and our failures and, and let it just, just be completely transparent about how we can do and implement all these uh, initiatives that, that everyone wants to see restaurants do. But is it feasible? Right. Stay tuned for more from me, Lindsay, and Edward right after this break. Uh, let me take this opportunity to also remind you about food print director Jerusha Klemperer's excellent reporting on that organization's podcast, What You're Eating, specifically the recent episode, PFAS, The Forever Chemicals in Food. I talked with Jerusha about these toxins, and I was amazed, fascinated, horrified PFAS are in everything from your paper straws to your raincoat to your medical devices. And in Jerusha's report, you'll hear interviews with farmers who have been deeply affected by these chemicals. You can find the episode on foodprint.org, F-O-O-D-P-R-I-N-T dot O-R-G. Back in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include Dynamic Sky Panorama Glass Roof, Front Row Massaging Seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the Multi-Terrain Select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. 
For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. I think your fundamental question, I read it in one of your, one of your docs, was what a restaurants look like in a setting of responsibility and equity. There are many interesting things to unpack in that, but you're starting a nonprofit or you're enhancing your existing nonprofit, starting a project that's a nonprofit in order to help for-profits or maybe hopefully for-profits since everybody Everybody knows the margins in restaurants are pretty slim. But let's talk about labor for a minute. And I know some of the relief stuff had to do with restaurant workers also. We are in a different world. And we all remember the fight for 15, which sort of began 10 years ago or so. But $15 doesn't any longer sound like much of an improvement to anybody. What does equity mean when it comes to labor in the restaurant industry? I mean, for me, one of the most interesting parts of this project and what part of what led to it was, you know, like I said, every restaurant that we approached to open a relief kitchen, they had been feeding people in their community all along. Um, we were able to help fund that. You know, now that we're coming, we're out of COVID or whatever we're calling it now, um, you know, restaurateurs are also dealing with the wage models um, that are changing rapidly. Um, they're also dealing with labor shortages. So how do we look at utilizing a nonprofit arm for for-profit businesses to do the community work that they have done all along? And it's like, when you meet a restaurateur who's like, oh, I can't do that this year because we literally don't have the staff to pay overtime and all of these things, it, it's impossible for them, but it's also heartbreaking to watch because it is a part of their ethos and they are a part of the community that they're in. And that's extremely important. So we have to look at new models for doing that. Um, with our restaurant project, we have met with One Fair Wage, the IRC, Independent Restaurant Coalition. How do we look at what policies are currently in place, what is coming down the pipeline, and make sure that we are paying folks a living wage? But more than that, if your fine dining restaurant is going to be a part of the community, yes, you're going to have overtime paying folks to help support these feeding initiatives to be a part of the community. So how do you financially do that in this current moment? And I we sort of disagree on this, but I can't see how it's feasible without a nonprofit arm for your restaurant. Yeah. And, you know, what, one of the things that, you know, when we look at the labor model and we publish our papers on it, being completely transparent about what works and what doesn't, we all have to understand whether it's whether you're in media or you're a restaurateur or chef, like there is nuance to this that often gets missed. And when people say fight for 15, I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, but what are you, are you talking about a waiter? Are you talking about a dishwasher? Are you talking about fast food? Are you talking about fine dining? Like 15 in, in West Virginia is very different than 15 in New York or San Francisco. You know, the regionally there's, there's you know, communities are different. Housing is different. Um, there, you know, like in Louisville, Kentucky, you can find pretty decent housing for, for relatively inexpensive and, and within a bike ride to your place of work. It's not possible in San Francisco. You know, so, so these things take a lot of time to sort of break down and look at 
what is the proper investment for a future in this restaurant industry, right? So let's let's backtrack 30 years ago when I was making $6.50 an hour and and not getting paid overtime and working in a restaurant in New York City for 80 hours, you know? uh, Like I knew I was being exploited, but I also understood that this was the, the education that I was getting and the amount of work it was was just so important to my future that I was willing to invest in that towards my future. What you're, I think you're seeing now is that people aren't willing to put that investment time in because they don't see a future in the restaurant business. So, of course, if you're 22 now and you don't think this restaurant career is going to take you anywhere or you don't think the restaurant business is going to survive or thrive in the next generation, why would you? Why would you work for anything less than what you think you deserve on the upper echelon of that, you know, labor, you know, equity pay. So part of it is, yes, we're looking at equity. But the other part of it is how do we put respect back into the restaurant industry? How do we put craft back into it? How do we put passion back into it? Professionalism, you know, things like love and care and understanding that like what you do today could have an impact on your career 20 years from now. Uh, and, I, and I don't see that younger generations see. I don't, I don't think they see that. And, and part of that is our fault. The, those of us who have been in this industry for the last 20, 30 years, we've not given them the space, the time, the respect uh, and, and given them a vision for the future. So part of it is that we also have to create the space so that they feel like they are part of this restaurant industry and not just cogs in a wheel. You know, now how we do that, how we solve that, that, that's a much bigger issue. But, you know, if we can if we can build a small model with this restaurant, I don't know, maybe it sparks some conversations, some ideas. Well, and on that to that end, for me, you know how? Yes, we want you to want to be a part of the restaurant community. But I want to see how restaurants can always be a part of the community that they're in. That is very important to me. How do we feed people in our neighborhoods? You can't just be a fine dining restaurant that comes in and no one in your neighborhood can afford to eat there. You know, and that's with this model that we're working on. It's, you know, yeah, we're going to do community meals and be a part of the community. That also helps us with waste reduction. It, you know, we already have chefs that are there. We have, you know, things from our farms that can't be used on the regular menu, but they are still really beautiful, great products. And we'll always stick with, I'm not going to serve you anything that I wouldn't serve my kids. You know, how do we combine those two things of community service, being a part of the community that you're in? It also makes your staff feel good. That was one of the biggest feedbacks we had after relief is how much care people put into making these community meals. You know that I'm questioning whether restaurants can ever make money and do the right thing at the same time. But you're trying to figure out if that's possible. I wonder if you have a vision of what a fine dining restaurant looks like 10 years from now that does treat its employees with dignity, produces a fair product for a fair price, actually makes a profit, sources from real farms, only cooks food that you'd want to eat and so on. You want to go? We have different visions of how this happens. (laughs) (laughs) So I think all three of us have different visions, but it's a cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, you know, yes, that the restaurant is a part of the community that it's in, that we are able to create real professional careers for folks. It's such a myth that, you know, restaurants are only a stepping stone industry. It's like, 
Uh, for a lot of women in newcomers, there's vast swaths of people that will be in the restaurant industry forever. Utilize that, empower them, let them be a part of their community. I financially can't figure it out without having a nonprofit arm. Edward has different views. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for me, it's yes, you can have a professional career. You can do service work. We can feed our community and we can all work in a symbiotic bubble. But I'm also a hopeless optimist. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. <laughs> and at the end of the day, there's a there's a financial <laughs> burden that has to be met. And, you know, fine dining restaurants are driven first and foremost by, you know, the art, the creation of it, the, 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 you know, taking this concept of food to the nth degree, like going overboard with it. It's fine. Um, they're not always going to be profitable. Some of them are, are, you know, playgrounds for billionaires. That's fine, too. But, you know, one of the models that I always look at is. You know, every city that you go to in America has a concert venue that that I don't know has a uh, let's say they're playing a Taylor Swift concert, right? She doesn't need help. Then every city has a symphony orchestra, or they have a a you know a performing arts theater. None of those, or they have a museum that with great art in it. None of them exist without help from the community. They are all nonprofits. If a symphony orchestra had to exist on its own two legs with ticket sales, they, there wouldn't be a single symphony orchestra in the entire country. Is fine dining any different? There's, there's a McDonald's on every corner. They make a ton of money. I'm sorry if I'm comparing McDonald's to Taylor Swift, but they, no, they don't need sense. our help. Fine dining, if we believe in the art, if we believe that the art of culinary, really beautiful fine dining is in itself worth it for the art itself, then do we need it? And do we want it to continue to exist? And if there isn't a billionaire willing to fund it, can it exist in a nonprofit space? Just like your symphony orchestra does, just like your performing arts theater does. And, and that's something to look at, you know, and then and then, like Lindsay says, it, you can focus on the art, you can get donations, you can have corporate partners, you can be a part of the community and, and, and still do your art. But you also have to like give back to the community and, and, and not exist in a bubble outside of your community, but, you know, be a part of it. And I, and I don't know the answer. I don't know if that, that is feasible or not, but it's one model. Right. You're addressing the model that you know the most about, which makes a great deal of sense. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's you know, the, you know, yes, communities support the ballet. They're often in areas where people are not utilizing the ballet, but the ballet is also giving back. My kids took ballet classes that were very reduced from a very lovely company because they always do reduced rate classes for the community that they're in. So if we're going to look at restaurants as a model and support it like the arts, which I do believe is important to do, we have to give back to the community that we're in. So how do we model that to make sure we are a part of this community and we are valuable? You know, we've, we've, we've researched every nonprofit restaurant in America, every single one in every state. And 
overwhelming majority are incredible causes, incredible uh, um, thoughtfulness, really impactful places that are important. But if we're going to be honest, they're not places that you would bring your wife to for her birthday, right? I mean, yeah. What I say is that every, just about, I don't want to pretend I know everything, but just about every nonprofit restaurant that's that's happened in this country, either it cuts a corner somewhere, either sources badly, it cooks badly. Oh, there's uh, mismatched silverware, the, the, you know, there's no wine list. It's, it's you know, but they're feel-good restaurants, and so you go. Will right, you go? Will you go three times? <laughs> yeah. Will you go four times? And and so, really, I mean, the genesis of what we started talking about was when we started doing the research is, can we be a nonprofit restaurant but actually be a really good restaurant? Can we get a beard nom and still actually do work? Like, is that even possible? And and the more we research it, it's like, what well, it doesn't really exist? I mean, outside there are a few. Staple House in, in, in Atlanta being one of them. But, you know, we, we looked at this and, and, and said, uh, and, and one of the things that we do share, we're both stubborn and we're both pigheaded. And so when we see this stuff and we you go. Could, you could say dedicated. Dedicated. Yeah. Dedicated. <laughs> That's a nicer one. Um, when we see this stuff and we go, well, it doesn't exist. And why doesn't it exist? And then, you know, we had t- 10 people telling us, well, it doesn't exist because you can't do it. And then we go, you really can't do it? And no, we've had a lot of people already tell us it's not possible. So I go, all right. And that's when we start going behind the scenes. We go, well, let's show them. Let's show them it is possible. And I think that's, I use that. yeah, yeah. I think that's the genesis of, you know, everything else, obviously we've, we've done a lot of road mapping through it, but that was the genesis of it. It's like, wait a second, can we, is this possible? Um, and I don't know, the more we, the, the more we think it is. Right. I think it's possible as a nonprofit, but we'll see. So, which brings me, I think, to my second to last question, which is that you've sort of put a cap on this as a five-year project. What happens at the end of five years? What do we know that we don't know now? What are the goals for the five-year plan? I know a lot of it is research, but a lot of it is practice, too. A lot of it is practice. You know, one of the things that we've all the initiatives that we've always done at Lee Initiative is, is, you know, we don't want to change the world. We want to create, inspire, create roadmaps, blueprints, and let other people run with it, right? So if this works and we can show, and it doesn't, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to take two years or maybe three really to show you that it works. If it works, I don't want to open a chain of nonprofit restaurants. I want someone to, I will publish, we will publish and be completely, give you the entire roadmap. We'll give you our entire laptop. I want someone in Houston to do their own version of it. I want someone in Oakland to do their own version. I want, so our thing is there is an expiration date to this because at some point we will have either proven that it works or we will have been proven that it doesn't work. So at the, there's nothing else to do at that point. At that point, we publish the papers, we give you the roadmap, you take over. We would love to see 20 different restaurateurs take this model and run with it, get inspired by it, and do it in their own way, in their own community, in different places. We're not going to do it. For me, that's the that's the the deadline or the expiration. We go. 
listen, this is it. It's either going to prove after five years, there's nothing that's going to, well, next year it'll work. <laughs> it didn't work in five years. Next year. No, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And, and we don't need 10 years to prove that. But what does working look like? Working looks like a, a successful restaurant that people want to eat at, that has buzz, you know, maybe get some, you know, recognition. But that shows that here are, I don't know, here are the six or seven or eight initiatives that we've taken on that we've proven can work. You can have an electric kitchen and then maybe perhaps the electric kitchen um, lowers the temperature in, in, in the kitchen and it actually makes the workplace a little bit nicer and a little bit easier for people. So you don't have so much turnover in cooks and cooks actually feel a little bit like, oh, this is a workplace where I can say, and, and uh, you, know, it, it, you know, one of the things we're doing with plastic, for example, we're not just removing plastic from the kitchen. We are not going to accept any deliveries from any companies that uses single-use plastic. So now we have to, it's about the supply chain. You can't give me a spice in, in, in those one pound plastic tubs. You can't wrap your meat in cryovac plastic. You can't give me milk in a plastic jug. That's a much, much, bigger deal than just saying, I'm gonna take plastic straws out of my bar. And so if we can show you that roadmap and we can say, here, this is what it really costs to do that. Can we affect change? Can we have a few companies down the road that go, you know what, it's worth it. I'll create a new distribution supply chain system. You know, if, if, tw- if we do this and we uh, uh, promote the company that's gonna get rid of plastics in their supply chain, maybe 20 other restaurants start buying from them Maybe they start getting some press. Maybe they start going, oh, this is worth it to do because we're getting new accounts and new clients because of this. And maybe the bigger corporations start to look at it and go, hey, we're losing 1% or a half percent market share to this. We have, that's the future we should change too. If we can do that, if we can take one major company and change their supply chain, that to me is success. I know I said I had two more questions, but I still have two more questions. Since we started talking about, you started with talking about the Me Too movement and and women in the restaurant industry, I know you have thoughts about how to run the new restaurant that concern women in the kitchen. So why don't you just talk about that for a minute or two? Yeah, I mean, when we looked at every single, you know, at least in the media, like with the Me Too movement, like, oh, if there was one woman in leadership, that shit wouldn't have happened. <laughs> There's, you have to have a diversified leadership system, and you typically actually don't even have those problems. <laughs> I don't, I mean, yeah, no one's perfect, but I think just ensuring that you have voices and leadership in every part of the room we eliminate a lot of problems. No one is going to let that happen. You know, of course, like in the media, it was like the very extreme cases, but, you know, down to small things. Like if you, you know, like I said, I came into the restaurant industry, Miss. I came from Riverboat Casinos in the South, so I'm sure you can imagine. I want to hear that story. that, That was not ideal. But, you know, once I came back to Kentucky, I did, I, Chef Annie Petri at DECA was one of my mentors. You know, she was a chef from San Francisco. And I remember when I I had been trying to have a baby forever. And whenever I finally was pregnant, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to resign. And I, I was met with like, why would you resign? Like, 
here are some accommodations to help you in this industry. And like, let's create a roadmap and like, let's look at all the policies. And, you know, we were able to move forward. And I just think having different voices in the room that understand your experience are so important. And I think, too, you know, we we agree. Like when we say it's a a woman led kitchen, we're we're not our goal is to not have 100 percent female gender in the, you know, it's like. It's a women-like kitchen, but we, we also want diversity. We want diversity of people, genders, thought, ideas. We want all kinds of diversity. Right. You're also talking about doing a sort of team-led kitchen as opposed to a strictly hierarchical kitchen. Well, I do have one more question, but first I want to thank you and, of course, wish you luck. And I have some follow-up ideas. I have to make sure I think they're right before I ask you about them, but we'll certainly be following what you're doing. And then we're gonna we're gonna start a podcast and then interview you about your I nonprofit swear to project. God. I, was gonna say, I, I swear to God, that's my out idea. To you because- I swear to God, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so like, maybe we'll just do that. We'll do it on our podcast. You interview me, and we'll ask. But the let questions. me think about it. All right. Yeah. But I mean, that's why we reached out to you is because of the. You know, I I read an article in The Guardian about what you were doing and you immediately responded, which I was shocked by, by the way. I mean, it's so obvious to do. And I almost reached out six months or a year ago when I heard what you were up to, but something got in the way. I can't remember what, but. And I know that, you know, a lot of things you're doing are not restaurateur focused. They're the person who is receiving the food. They're the eater, which is everyone. (laughs) But, you know, I can't wait to look more into your model and discuss, you know, how we're, you know, what we're doing and what you're doing are very aligned. And I, I do believe that you also, you know, believe in like chef driven meals or very good meals that you want to feed your family. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we have a lot of data to share with one another. (laughs) Right. We're on the same page on most stuff. I agree. Last question is we ask everybody this, what'd you have for dinner last night? bit of it's a bit of out of left field in this conversation but what the hell so i actually hosted um eight women who run a direct aid feeding organization in lexington kentucky that i've worked alongside with in relief um and it was a very big hodgepodge of uh my csa box roasted veggies and then i got some food from nami uh, edward's new restaurant and then some proteins that you know i had left over and yeah it was a beautiful Time to actually, they were here on a retreat, so I was able to host them, and it was lovely. Sounds like a buffet. It, it yes. was definitely a buffet of things. Yeah, it, we it, do buffets a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, Korean curry and then also, like, very American uh, leathery britches. So. <laughs> I, my wife and daughter were at a birthday party, so I got a rare moment to stay at home and not cook. So I ate leftover cold fried chicken with hot sauce and watched my giants get completely obliterated <laughs> by the Cowboys. I'm so happy I didn't watch it. <laughs> and I just, I just turned it off at halftime and that's it. That was, that was, yeah, it wasn't the best Are you night. from New York? I am. Brooklyn born. We'll have to talk about that at some point. What did um, you have for dinner? I've become a complete red zone addict so i watched you know whatever 10 football games all afternoon really had fun i mean i missed it so much so my partner kathleen made nachos so we had nachos with um 
really good beef, tomato sauce I'd made the day before, good cheese, blah, 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 blah. But they were definitely nachos. And, um, and then we had ice cream and we were like, we shouldn't eat any more ice cream. <laughs> it tastes so good, but it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, like, let's not eat anymore. And we never buy it, but when people come stay at our house or come for dinner, whatever, they bring ice cream and then it's there, so we eat it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks. Ciao. Bye. Thank you again to Edward Lee and Lindsay off Sasek. I think what they're doing is terrific, and not just because it's somewhat similar to what I'm trying to do. I hope you agree, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Follow Edward on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Chef Edward Lee, that's Chef Edward Lee, L-E-E, and follow Lindsay on Instagram, Lindsay off Sasek, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-O-F-C-A-C-E-K. You can also follow the Lee Initiative on Instagram at Lee Initiative. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host and producer, Kate Bittman, and to our engineer, Davis Lloyd, as always. Thank you all for listening. And tune in next week when we will have somebody awesome. Thanks again. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.